This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. I'm Francesca Liberti, and in this episode, we will discuss about financial literacy and especially on the gamification aspect of that. We will have two conversations today with two particularly interesting startups working actively in this field. So let me introduce you the first one of them. We have the pleasure to have with us Louise Hill, co-founder and COO of GoEnry, one of the most promising startups out there. Louise, thanks for joining us and welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. All right, so as we said, we are discussing financial literacy today, and I believe there's no one better than you, Louise, to tell us something about this topic. So GoHenry is a financial education platform that offers an app and debit card for children between six and 18 years old. So the purpose, correct me, uh, Luis, if I'm, uh, I'm wrong, is to teach children how to manage their, their money to make them uh, more aware, more conscious now, but also I can imagine when they grow up. So to be honest with you, Luis, uh, money management in general uh, for most of the people is not actually uh, a really sexy topic, uh, I have to say. <laughs> And I often make this example of a very close friend of mine who is a a neurosurgeon in one of the best Swiss hospitals, actually. And he is always telling me that he doesn't understand anything about money. Investments are too complicated for him. He just wants to take his salary, put it in the bank, and they will do something about it at some point. (laughs) And I'm working in the financial services, you know, so I'm always like, how is that possible that you have a PhD in neurosurgery and you don't want to try at least a little bit to understand about your money? And I mean, which is not rocket science, you know? So I always have the feeling that money talks uh, are the ones people avoid the most, uh, even though they are part of our life. I would say 24-7. So I can imagine that if it's tough for us, for adults, for kids, it can become even tougher. So my first question to you is, how difficult is it to teach children something that even the parents sometimes do not want to talk about? That's a good question. So I think if I start by saying, you know, you've already introduced the idea, we are a prepaid debit card and a financial education app for kids aged 6 to 18. A very simple mission, the same one today as when we started back in 2012, and that is to make every kid smart with money. And the whole idea of GoHenry was to provide tools 
to help kids learn about money by earning, saving, spending responsibly, giving to charity and much, much more, all with parental oversight. And we now have over 2 million customers across the UK and the US. Um, The whole company, the reason that we founded the company was because as parents, and I I was one of the co-founders, we realised, I realised that my kids, I'd left my kids behind. I was using cards. I was shopping online. Contactless had recently arrived in the UK and I was tapping away with my card using the ATM. And then on a Saturday morning, giving my kids cash mm-hmm. and not always having cash to hand, I have to <laughs> say, you know, sometimes having a £20 note and a few pennies. But they'd been left behind and that just didn't make any sense to me. And so the reason Go Henry was set up was to allow children to learn about money practically with, you know, with a real life tool where they could use money in the way that adults were using money but in a safe environment, so where their parents could set the limits and boundaries that made sense for their children and their belief sets. And yes, it really started from the the premise that, you know, if you ask anybody, is financial education a good thing? They will say, yes, of course it is. But how do you actually deliver that? So when you've got a six-year-old in front of you, what does that mean doing? And Some parents will be super competent and super confident in doing that with their kids, but a great many of us would not be. And so the the foundational idea was provide a tool that parents could use to teach their kids about money in the way that they were using money, the way that adults were using money to prepare them for that moment as they fledge into adulthood and you know, that big crazy world of credit and compound interest and mortgages suddenly becomes available to them. Makes sense. Yes, of course. So we can actually say that, uh, I mean, uh, your target is definitely kids, uh, but uh, it, it can become an app to put the whole family in front of the topic of financial education. So they can actually learn together with their children. Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I think... Most parents recognize that financial literacy is a a core life skill Mm -hmm. and understand the the need to teach children about money management. But often it's a question of how you go about it. And and that's where Go Henry comes in. Um, One of the things we did last year, I've talked a little bit about the, the debit card that we provide, but one of the things we did last year was spend a great deal of time um, uh, investing in building what we call money missions, which are in-app gamified money lessons um, that children can can take and and play because a lot of them are games. You know, those are there's gifts, there's quizzes, there's um, chatbots, there's all kinds of things involved in that, and the kids can learn uh, learn about money. They can earn XP points. They can earn badges and certificates. And parents themselves can also try out those money missions. And, and we know that um, some parents are doing them alongside their kids and kind of yeah. competing with each other to see who gets <laughs> the best scores. But they can track their children's progress. And yeah. we've had fantastic feedback from them. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, let's double click uh, on this uh, gamification uh, part, uh, if you don't mind. 
which sure. is actually also uh, the part of the topic of this episode. And, and I have to say that I see the effect even on myself and I, I recognize when you were talking about that. So I am definitely much more engaged when I have a sort of game to play with. I mean, uh, it can be the competition thing on, uh, I don't know, Strava while I'm running or whatever, you know. And um, I, I feel the effect is, is close to uh, I'm helping you doing something maybe boring not only in a fun way, but in a way you don't even notice you are actually doing that. Something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Um, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Mm. But I was wondering, when it comes to children, how can we make sure that they can learn about financial literacy easily, but still take the banking aspect seriously? I think um, from from our perspective. You know, with the launch of Money Missions, we've now become the only company that offers kids the ability to learn both the theory behind money management, yeah. so with, with the Money Missions and our, our gamified money lessons, but also the practice with the, the prepaid debit card and app. And, and I think that is, for me, incredibly powerful that we're bringing together, as I said, the theory, the lessons in a fun way, but with practical, real-life opportunity to use money and make mistakes but but you know make mistakes within that um I'm going to use the phrase walled garden you know that that set of limits yeah yeah safe environment yeah yeah safe environment absolutely and that you know there's there's a phrase that uh, our CEO used a couple of years ago and he, he said better um better a 20 pound mistake made age seven than a £2,000 mistake uh, made age 27. And, and that's very, very true. If, if kids are learning to think about what they're spending their money on and they have the, they are empowered with GoHenry to spend their money, if they spend it on something and then regret that later, that's actually a really powerful lesson. Um, and they're going to have to wait for next week's pocket money or save up again before they buy the thing that they've decided they maybe wanted more to have. Yeah, so that's it's, it's kind of that marriage of theory and practice. Yeah. So you touch um, a very interesting point when you say that, of course, you are teaching kids that are actually later on growing up. And so um, uh, the uh, Goenry can actually uh, teach them uh, at a very early age how to manage their money. So there are skills that they can use even in the future, mm -hmm. of course. And I think this can open up another interesting uh, aspect of the topic. And it's the role of uh, traditional uh, banks in this. So improving financial literacy, as we said, is an enabler in creating more confidence on financial services and help mm -hmm. spread in general um, banking services as a whole, of course. But another aspect, in my opinion, uh, is the, the future opportunity a startup like GoHenry can create for banks, for example. So it is a fact that onboarding a client at such an early age means First of all, you can build loyalty, not only with uh, him, her, but in this case, with the whole family. And second, 
you can start gathering tons of behavioral data about a consumer. Now, maybe it's not real moneymaker for the bank, probably. But in the future, it can actually be. And as we said, it can even be a much more knowledgeable uh, one. So in my opinion, invest in this kind of solutions, even though it's, of course, a long-term investment, should be a no-brain for a bank. <laughs> so I'm curious to know your opinion about that. And what's your experience with traditional or, or even challenger banks? Because at the end of the day, I mean, they are facing kind of the same uh, customer uh, problems. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, in, in the very early years of, of building Go Henry. Um, I used to be very concerned about uh, one of the big high street banks in the UK just stepping in and doing the same thing, and yeah. obviously with much, much deeper pockets than, than we had at, at, at that point in time, and giving it away free. And um, what I guess I've come to realise, and, and we as a business have come to realise, is everybody has their focus. Our focus, Go Henry was started by parents, for parents and their children. And it was designed from the ground up as a practical banking tool to help keep teach kids good money management skills. So we kind of, well, we did pioneer the youth finance category when we launched back in 2012. And we continue to be the largest financial education card and app for children in the UK. Our sole focus is six to 18 year olds. It's, this isn't an add-on product for us. Um, and, you know, we really are 100% focused on revolutionising financial education. So I think that differentiates us quite considerably from a lot of the other financial players in the market. And, yes, I mean, I, I think it's very – I'd love the thought about what these children are growing up and what they are expecting and learning as the norm – as they grow up. So I see our role in many ways as preparing children for adult financial services, children and teenagers, but also um, I'm going to be quite arrogant in what I say next, <laughs> setting the bar quite high for mm -hmm. the financial service adult providers as these children leave the Go Henry universe and, and yeah. move on to adult financial products. You know, they they have grown up with um, they are the digital native generation. You know, our, our customers, our child and teenage customers are Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Gen Z is always described as the first generation of digital natives. Mm -hmm. They are. And they expect everything to be on their phone, to be instant, and to be a beautiful, slick digital experience. And that's what we seek to provide. So the minute they spend any money, they get a little ping on their phone to say, hey, you've just spent $4.99 at New Look. You've got this much money left. Or you just tried to spend $4.99 at New Look, but you didn't have enough money. Or but that's more than your weekly spend allowance. So they're getting instant information. And I, I've been having a bit of fun recently in some of the panels I've been on talking to adult financial service providers and kind mm -hmm. of going, watch out they're coming then they're coming your way and they expect a lot well definitely i, I think this is the actual big challenge but uh, uh, probably uh, you know many of them don't see don't see it coming so um so early you know because uh, i always have the feeling they see okay it's kids as, as i said it's not 
money maker in the, in this actual moment, you know. So I cannot make money on them right now. Um, but at the end of the day, you are completely right. When they are growing up, they they will they will be used to um, all a digital set of services, uh, and they will demand for that for things that are at the level they expect to be. So. Um, it's 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 definitely a point. Uh, um, traditional banks or traditional financial services should uh, um, be aware of. But going back on the actual um, app and the gamification aspects, it's also uh, interesting because I've noticed that your age target range, the one you mentioned, is quite wide. So it goes mm-hmm. from six to eighteen years old. Uh, how does the app change uh, to meet uh, all these, uh, I mean, I, I can imagine, different uh, ages requirements? Um, that is absolutely a challenge. Um, I, I can remember when we, again, going back 10 years, when we first launched, we used to talk about having two audiences, the children and the adults, the, the parents. And now we talk about having uh, four audiences, and that, that is exactly talking to the point that um, you're making. You know, a six-year-old has vastly different needs to a 12-year-old and then again to a 17 or 18-year-old. So we are talking to some very different audiences and, of course, the parents as well. So one of the ways that we we handle that within um, the, the child app and the parent app is we tailor the content. and. There is this kind of a graduation process. Once a child reaches 30, um, they graduate into our team experience. And that is more tailored to the way that they are interacting with money at their age. You know, 13 plus, they're starting, they're they're out with their friends, they're socialising with their friends. So there's the option for a wage to be paid into their account if they have a part-time job. There's the ability to send and receive money to family and friends. Um, they have a different range of colorways and, and avatars within the app that's more suitable to, more interesting for a teen. Um, it, they have, a, they even have different cards that they can choose from. Um, I think that the first teen card we launched was matte black with a red edge, and, and that, that had huge take up. You know, it's we take. Yeah, I saw the, the last card, the, the the Sonic one. It's uh, unbelievably oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's uh, that's been uh, those those cards have been very very popular. But you know, it, it's tailoring the service that we provide, the language that we use, the money missions, as well. All of that is tailored to the age and stage of the child. So you know, the six year old who probably is only out with mum or dad, with possibly the Go Henry card in mum or dad's wallet um, to the 16-year-old who's uh, out by themselves and doing their own thing. Yeah, of course, very clear. So to close up this uh, first part of our episode, I have one very last question for you, Louise. From our conversation, if I had to summarize your solution in a sentence, I would say that it combines uh, games, challenges, uh, and rewards in a very safe playground to empower not only kids, but the whole family about money management. Is that correct? Do you agree? And very lastly, maybe you can leave our audience with uh, um, what makes GoHenry so unique for you that, mm. that found it. Wow, those are, those are tough ones. Um, 
So your your statement, what are we? Uh, yeah, that's part of it. But but I guess I would say it's it's more than that. Yes, it's financial education delivered in a fun, interactive, interesting way, the way that kids are used to learning today and, and want to learn and, and um, consume without even re- realising that they're learning. But that is partnered with a very, very practical money tool that for me is best in market to provide kids with a safe way to use money and learn about money practically. Um, and then I guess the ultimate goal is, is that transition into adulthood as money-confident kids become money-confident adults and, and all that that brings to their life goals and achievements and to society, actually. Thanks a lot, Louise. It was really a pleasure to have you here with us and talk with you. Thank you, Francesca. And stay with us because we will come back in a minute with another guest right after a short advertisement break. Do you want to be part of Breaking Banks Europe? Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at BreakingBanksEU or go to www.provoke.fm. And here we are back for the second part of our conversation about financial literacy. We have just finished talking with Louise from GoHenry, and we are about to start another super interesting conversation with a great startup, also UK-based, called Your Juno. It's a pleasure for me to welcome Margot De Brogli, indeed co-founder of Your Juno, a financial education platform for women and non-binary people. Margot, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, uh, I want to congratulate with you, uh, Margot, for the great achievement you and, uh, and your team, of course, uh, recently get. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a 1.6 million pounds of fundraising one month ago. Uh, and also, from what I can see, the background of your angel investors is quite interesting. So mostly women, mostly from uh, ethnic minorities. So really congratulations for this achievement. Could you tell us briefly how you developed the idea of your Juno and how you get there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so thank you for the for the congrats. I think um, having having a diverse board of um, investors was super important for us because obviously our mission is to build a platform that supports women financially, and it didn't really make sense if the returns for that platform didn't end up in um, the pockets of women. So that was really important for us. Um, but the idea for Juno originally came, um, it was a year and a half ago. I don't know if you remember the whole thing that happened with GameStop at the time. And yeah, of course. there was a big frenzy and everyone was trying to understand what was going on. Um, and I remember personally, I fell into a rabbit hole at that time, um, trying to figure out you know, how the stock market worked and, and just exactly what was happening. And I became super passionate about it and started having conversations with my friends about it and quickly realized that 
my girlfriends and my guy friends had very different um feelings about the stock market and and also different behaviors a lot of the guys were picking stocks had cryptocurrencies um were openly speaking about money with their other friends but what i found is that a lot of my girlfriends including me we were very good at saving we had a lot of savings but we weren't actually making that money work for us we weren't using that money to grow our wealth and I knew a little bit about inflation having um studied economics and I quickly realized like we're we're losing out here we're missing out on a pretty big opportunity um and and so that was kind of the leading insight for it and and one of the things that stood out when speaking to my friends was that they felt like they didn't know where to go for trustworthy information because if you google how to invest in the stock market the first results you're going to get are going to be pages from Barclays, Hargreaves, Lansdowne's about yeah. how to invest, but in reality all they're trying to do is sell you their products. So it felt like somehow it was this area that is so important in our lives, money plays a huge role in our happiness, our freedom, and yet there was no one who could actually teach us about it and teach us how to use it most effectively. And once I realized that, somehow I was so struck by it and I was so confused that the world was somehow still working that way that I think there was only one choice and it was doing something about it and that was what got us started with Juno. Great. Yeah, that's a great story and actually it made me think what we were discussing also before with Luis about the um that at the end of the day it's really a matter probably of of education because many people feel like this money talks quite quite tough and apparently especially for women and uh, you know when they asked me towards this episode I was particularly happy first of all because uh, I think it's one of the few um, where we can see only women's speakers uh, which especially in the financial sector as you probably know it's not common at all and secondly because uh, since I was young actually my father used to tell me sometimes I have to say probably in, a, in such an obsessive way, how important it was for me to be um, free in a sense. Um, so in pro- probably knowing that as a woman, it could have been a little bit uh, tougher than, for example, for my older brother. And he was always mentioning three indicators to assess uh, freedom. The first one, be highly educated so that people cannot trick you. The second, be ethically solid, so you don't become uh, bargaining cheap, uh, so to say. And the third one, be financially independent. And, you know, when you were talking now about uh, um, your storytelling, about your female friends and so on, I was really relating with that because I'm thinking that, for example, I'm the only one that owns uh, some cryptos, which, you know, in my female, in my male friends, it's kind of people are always, uh, uh, you know, talking about that, saying oh, I made this, uh, I did this, I lost. And among us, I mean, I have friends in the financial sector as female as well, and it, it sounds quite weird. So, could you perhaps give us a, a state of the art of the current situation, and, and why do you think there is such a, a gender gap when talking about financial knowledge? I mean. Is it about the culture? Is indeed about the family? I was uh, particularly lucky in have that kind of father or what do you think is the reason? 
Yeah, I, I really like that story um, from your father. And I think the reality that is that money is particularly important for women because money is power and money is freedom. And having savings, having an emergency fund, having enough wealth to support yourself means that particularly as a woman, you can leave situations that are abusive for you, that are toxic for you. And so I think this piece that your your father has communicated with you and has raised you with is, is really, really crucial because, yeah, it, it's such a big step in, in, in building a life that is free. Um, in terms of why we see such a big gap, um, I think the first piece to know is that there's still a huge legacy of traditional gender roles. The reality is that a few decades ago, women weren't allowed to open a bank account. We needed our husbands or fathers to open bank accounts for us. So thinking back to that, it's also interesting to realize that we've come quite a long way and it's actually not surprising that there's still such a legacy of it because you know we, the, the change has been quite rapid actually. And I think one of the areas where those those gender roles play still a really big role is the way women get spoken to about money. There was a really interesting study done um, by Starling Bank a few years ago, which looked at the language that is used in the media to talk about money. And they particularly looked at the language used for men and for women. And they found that 80% of finance articles targeted at men focused on growing their wealth. So it was this idea of investing, of making more money, this idea of abundance, and actually that there was a, a large stream of money that they could tap into. And then when they looked at the language use for women, 73% of finance articles targeted at women focused on saving, on excessive spending, and on making sure that you can keep your money where you can see it. So it was clearly <laughs> the image of of scarcity, these things like don't buy the latte, don't buy the expensive shoes. <laughs> but there wasn't anything about this idea of making more money come in, of, of bringing in more money. And I think that's something that a lot of us have been conditioned with, because then it means that it creates this, this fear around money. It creates this feeling that there's not enough and that if we just make a simple mistake, then we might lose all of it. Instead of thinking that actually if we make the right moves, we could also grow our money um, and, and, and have their value increase. So I think for me that highlights really one of the biggest um, the biggest yeah, distinctions that are still in our in our society today and that really shape how we think about money. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I have the feeling it's kind of, uh, you know, a sort of uh, patriarchal uh, attitude that we still have uh, in, in many topics we have to deal with. And uh, um, what you were saying made me think um, about also geographies, because, uh, you know, many times we talk about financial inclusion, financial literacy, thinking about places far away from us, uh, like realities that maybe do not have uh, so much, we think they don't have so much in common uh, with our own. Uh, but for example, I'm Italian and uh, um, I'm working a lot in the financial space, especially with uh, developing countries, uh, African countries and so on. 
but still in Italy, for example, or in Europe in general, maybe you can give me some insights about that. I don't see so many differences in terms of, for example, gender gap to be filled in some areas or um, financial literacy. I mean, I think also um, in Europe in general, there is a lot to be done. So many times we try to think about these topics uh, as very far away from us. Okay, we help developing countries doing something, but at the end of the day, still in our home, there is a lot of work to be done. What's your uh, What's your idea about that? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think... Um, something to add on top of that is that the financial landscape is also evolving very rapidly. And when we look at investment in stocks and shares, we see a pretty big gender gap. But then when you look at investment in cryptocurrencies that you recently mentioned, the gap is huge. Mm. So we're also seeing that actually the news financial products, it's not like the gap is shrinking, the, the gap is increasing for cryptocurrency, for Web3, for all these new products that are just at the frontier of being created at the moment, they're very male dominated. And actually speaking about financial inclusion, I think it's very important to also not only consider gender, but also consider wider diversity, because it's also very heavily white dominated. And actually, when we're speaking about financial inclusion, we need to make sure also not to bucket you know, groups into homogenous groups. Me as a white woman, I have a very different experience to a black woman or to a transgender woman. And I don't face the same level of discrimination and conditioning that they might have encountered. So I think you're absolutely right to say that this is very urgent. And and, and I think it's interesting because it's it's sneaky at home. It's less obvious um, because we have the same rights. We, in theory, have the same access People might argue that, you know, the, 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 the society is actually equal. And I think that's really where the work needs to happen in realizing that it isn't. And, and making sure that when the next wave of financial products appears and the wealth those financial products will create, that we make sure that that is equally distributed and that the level field is, um, that the level um is 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 leveled the, the playing field is leveled there we go yeah <laughs> it was perfectly clear Margot um thinking about what you're saying um I want also to double click a little bit on the um uh, on, on the gender gap uh, in a more wide way as you said um and talking a, a little bit more about the way you engage with your target audience so if I think about, as you just said, uh, woman as a category is a very heterogeneous one. So, for example, I am Italian. I had a degree in economics, uh, coming from a specific family, whatever. But on the other side, that can be a completely opposite case, not being white, uh, um, coming from a, a minority or whatever, not having had the same opportunities, etc. So how do you make sure that uh, your platform can address uh, all the different women at the same way and still engages them in a challenging way? Yeah, I think for us, it's about realizing that I don't know what the experiences are of women and non-binary people in different, different demographics and with different experiences. And so it's really acknowledging that the first step for us is actually 
listening to those experiences and making sure that we elevate the voices of those that are already doing the work in those spaces. Um, so I think when we built the, the content initially with my sister, we very quickly reached out to all the experts that we already saw in those different spaces from different backgrounds, talking about different subjects, and made sure that those are the experts that are sharing the content in the platform because we don't have the answer and we don't know what it's like to be living in the shoes of anyone else. But I think, and I, I think that's something that is slowly you know, moving more into the fintech space as well, but that hasn't been done for a long time is realizing that we need as a first step to really listen and understand the problems of those that are different from us. I think about like this assumption, for example, that has been said for decades and decades, when often when you hear, when you tell someone, oh, women invest less, the, the answer from someone who's been in the financial sector was will simply be, that's because women are more risk averse. <laughs> but actually, what does that mean? You know, like have people actually taken time to really figure out what that risk averseness means, what kind of products women would need to actually feel supported. And what we've seen so far is it's not, it's not that we're more risk averse, it's that we're more risk aware. And so we need a different type of information to be able to make that jump. And I think just relying on these assumptions has led to the exclusion of a large demographic in how the financial products have been built. So really actually taking the time to listen to other people's problems and not just you know, jumping to conclusions um, is, is one of the big, um, I think one of the big building blocks of Juno so far. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, it's not the financial sector till now was always sparkling. So, I mean, if they consider another perspective and maybe they ask why women are on paper more risk averse, maybe they can see that the asymmetry of information is quite high and maybe they consider to change it, for example, but whatever. <laughs> so um, going a little bit more into deep about the gamification aspect, actually, I want to um, ask you, how does it work for your Juno in this sense? I mean, I see, I actually developed the app and I will start using that uh, with pleasure, honestly. And um, I see some challenges for users. So maybe you can explain as how does it work and uh, what's the reaction you get from your community? Yeah, completely. So I think one of the guiding principles in building Juno has been how can we make personal finance engaging and how can we make it something... I think at the moment, if you ask people about personal finance, it's either incredibly <laughs> boring or it's really charged with a lot of emotions because actually money is a really stressful topic. And so it brings up anxiety, it brings up fears, and it brings up quite negative experiences for a lot of people. And so for us, it's been really a question about how can we build the user experience around those human emotions and, and, and make it yeah as, as fun and, and engaging and accessible as possible. Um, so we've, break it, we've broken the topic down into different modules. So you might have things like setting up your pension, investing in the stock market, saving for an emergency fund or different types of topics. And throughout those modules, each lesson will only be between five to seven minutes long. So really short. It's a stack of cards that you swipe through a little bit like Instagram stories or Tinder um, and we have different sorts of media. We have quizzes, we have polls, we have videos um, from speakers that are actually 
really passionate and engaging. So it's not a lecture like at university, yeah. but it's one who's, you know, there's a lot of swearing. There's a lot mm-hmm. of personal stories of people for whom this information has really changed their life around. And I think that motivation really comes across and helps to show people that actually this is fully something that is within their reach and that can be exciting to tackle. And it doesn't have to be this like, oh, I have to fill out a 50 column Excel sheet now, but actually what are the things that I can do that are simple and that that will have a really meaningful impact on my financial life. Um, And that's how we started. Yeah, that's been a guiding principle in building Juno so far. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I really have the feeling this is such a, quite a community-based kind of uh, um, uh, platform. So where we can teach from each other and um, and learn also from, from the experience of the others. So that, that sounds really great. Margot, I have one very last question for you. Um, we have heard before um, also from Louise talking about the importance of making children in that case more aware of their financial behavior to actually, at a certain point, make them more knowledgeable adults. Um, I have the feeling this is kind of uh, following the same conversation. So as we said at the beginning, money is actually power. Freedom is power, okay? So um, which advices you would give to uh, the woman you are supporting uh, uh, with with your startup? If you have to mention some stuff and get them maybe on board in your solution? Yeah, um, I think it's this idea of just start. Um, I think the longer we push it back, the more opportunities we miss out on. And it's never it's never too early to start. Um, and I'd like that you mentioned children as well, because in reality, I think this is something that we should be taught at school. It's something that we should be taught from a really, really young age, because that means that when we start our financial lives, we have those building blocks Whereas for a lot of people, they learn this almost when it's too late. So an example is, you know, a lot of people won't really find out their credit score until they want to buy a house. But then they realize that actually they should have been building up their credit scores for the last 10 years to be able to get a good mortgage. And so I think something that we're really trying to encourage people is seeing financial wellness as the key part of your overall wellness and really considering it in the same way that you consider your health or your mental health um, and realizing that it's not something that works if it's reactive often you'll you'll miss out on opportunities if you do it that way but actually if you're proactive about it and if you do it regularly not when it's urgent but when you're in a position where it can really make a difference i think that will be i mean it's not i think i know that has a life-changing <laughs> impact on people um so i think that's that's the main point that 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 is important for me to come across Thanks a lot, Margot. It was uh, really, uh, seriously, honestly, a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I think you're doing a great job and uh, it's, it's a really great project. So thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you, Francesca, for having me. And thanks to our audience to have joined us. Please remember to follow us on all social media and streaming platforms. And uh, see you next week with another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. 
See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.